When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. My name is Andreas Steno from Real Vision, and I look forward to sending live for you the next 30 minutes here on Tuesday, the 24th of January. And uh, today we're going to ask the question whether the narrative will end soon. And I'm joined by an equity pair today uh, and also probably the guy with the best hair in finance, Eric Johnston, the head of equity derivatives and cross asset strategy at Cantor Fitzgerald. It's good to see you on the show again, Eric. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> Eric, we've had uh, quite of a wobbly day in equity markets. We've had PMIs out of Europe and, and the US bouncing a little bit from lows, but still uh, sideways to slightly negative price action, both in European equities and US equities. What do you make of the price action after the rally that we've seen so far this year? So one of the things that's happening is that people are being uh, somewhat dragged into this rally. So. Uh, the CTA community, which I think is a really important driver and has been um, for years and a lot of the short-term moves that we get, um, has, been, has been in buy mode. So they have their momentum triggers. Uh, it, it trade right now, we're about a percent uh, or so above uh, their medium-term trigger. And so they're buying approximately 2 to $3 billion uh, a day. And right now, liquidity in the equity markets is extremely poor. So we're seeing volumes that are down, you know, 15 to 20% relative to the 100-day average. And even on the days on Friday and Monday when we had those two big rallies where we saw, you know, very large moves in the market which just, you know, creates uh trading going on in the futures market, volumes even then were still quite low, which just shows you at any point liquidity is very low. So when you have CTAs buying that much each day, um, and although buybacks are in, um, you know, some are in are in blackout right now, but many are still alive, and you add in that flow, um, it's creating this dynamic that is then dragging in um, hedge funds to cover shorts. It's dragging in mutual funds to reduce their uh, some of their cash cash levels, which which have been uh, you know very high, and so situation where um, people are buying not because they think that we're necessarily going higher but because they feel like they they have to and they're being uh, and they're being dragged um, dragged into it so I think we are in sort of the probably seventh inning to ninth inning of this trade um, the crowded hedge fund short basket is up over 20 percent this year 
and the momentum index is down uh, very significantly this year. And, you know, a typical uh, long short hedge fund is obviously short the crowded names and uh, is typically long momentum because you're typically long high quality and short low quality and the low quality stocks are ripping. So you've had this one big pain trade squeeze that I think is driving uh, driving things and for that matter also driving the narrative. Yeah, before we went on air, Eric, we talked about how price tends to lead narrative in the mainstream media, at least. And I've seen the phrase green shoots being used by some of your colleagues in other investment banks to sort of describe this small rebound that we've seen in economic sentiment, for example, in purchasing manager indices and other sentiment indicators. What do you make of this green shoots narrative? Is it fake news? I think it's fake news. Um, there are so many indicators out there that um, that suggest that the economy is going to erode uh, throughout the year, um, and, and we can go through a few of them. You know, if you look at the you know, if you look at the yield curves, for example, you've got the three month ten year, which is at a thirty five plus year um, you know inverted level. Um, the twos tens curve um, has been inverted for about nine or ten months uh, so far. Um, it's been inverted. It's gone inverted about ten times uh, over the course of the last seventy years. Um, in eight of those ten times, we had a recession within twenty-four months. It's been ten months so far, and the other two times it happened a year and two years, um, you know, after that. So that whenever you have a you know you have a ten-year yield that's one hundred and fifty basis points below what is likely to be the peak Fed funds rate, that's telling you um, something, I think, very powerful because the Fed is not going to cut rates if we have a soft landing, the S&P is at 4,000, um, and everything is fine in the markets. Um, they're going to cut rates if things are bad. Um, you look at some of the economic data we're seeing, the leading economic indicator has been down 10 months in a row. Um, if you look at the times since... 1970, when it's gone negative for um, for more than you know two readings, more than two months, there's been a recession every time, um, and we've now had a number of readings uh, below zero. We last you know printed negative 7.4 percent, um, and if you look at some of the ISM numbers around the new orders relative to inventories, some of the weakest levels. You look at retail sales; it was you know minus one percent in December, minus 1.1 percent. In this most recent re reading from the other day, um, we haven't had two months in a row like that, ex-COVID, uh, since the financial crisis. And so, and there are so many others. And so I think one of the things that is holding up this economy right now is that the unemployment rate's three and a half percent. And the consumer at the moment is still strong because they're still employed and they still have some excess savings. But when I look at the forward-looking indicators for the consumer, um, it's not favorable um, at all because excess savings are, they've been coming down for about a year, year and a half uh, in a straight line. They're likely to hit zero sometime in the middle of this year. Credit usage has been surging and the savings rate is at a 70 year low. Um, and so right now, like I said, they're employed. So as soon as employment starts to turn, it doesn't need to turn you know, that much um, I think the consumer is really going to start to erode 
And that's where you could really see the downside acceleration um, in the market. If we turn back time, just say six weeks uh, to just before Christmas in the middle of December, uh, we had a terrible December, one of the worst Decembers in uh, in history in the U.S. stock market, and everyone seemed to agree that the economy was slowing clearly, that the recession was unavoidable during 2023, etc. So, what has changed since then, yeah. uh, given that we've now uh, seen a rally almost since New Year's? Yeah, it's pretty incredible the uh, the change in the view from the market where it's gone from, you know, we're almost for sure going to have a recession to now the most likely outcome being a being a soft landing. And, you know, I think and, and as we said earlier, price is certainly, you know, price of equities are certainly a, a part of that. I think that uh, you know, when you look at the outlook, this because the unemployment rate is so so low, um, I think that this process is going to be just that a process and it will take time and we may not get those that think the economy is really going to roll over. Um, you know, you need to be patient because it's not going to fall off a cliff. We don't have a large leverage problem, um, you know, in the system. And so. Um, it's not like we're going to fall off the cliff right away, but the indicators are all such that um, I think there's a high likelihood that it is going to, um, you know, to happen. But I think the longer that it takes, the more people will start to think that, okay, since it hasn't happened yet, we're going to have the soft landing. Now, I think what's really important is that ultimately this economy goes in cycles, right? It's happened since the beginning of time. And the best barometer of the economy is the unemployment rate. So when the unemployment rate is three and a half percent, you're probably towards the top of the cycle. When the unemployment rate is um, eight, 10, 12 percent, then that so almost by definition is the bottom of the cycle. And you want to own equities towards the bottom of the cycle and you want to sell equities towards the top of the cycle. And the when you look at the returns in history, the data proves that out, meaning that returns go higher as the unemployment rate forward returns go higher as the unemployment rate goes goes higher. And so as we think about cycles, if in fact we get a soft landing in 2023, which by the way, I think is possible, like, you know, you can't, nothing is 100%, not even close. And I do actually think it is possible, not likely, but possible, then that doesn't mean we're out of the woods. It's not like we've then gone to a 8% unemployment rate and we can start the next cycle. The narrative and the multiple that I think the market will put on earnings will be lower because if it doesn't happen in 23, people are going to think it's coming in 24 because we are towards the end of the cycle, not the beginning. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Eric, I uh, wanted to show you a tweet from earlier today. It's from a friend of the show, Jim Bianco, 
who points out that the S&P 500 has sort of breached a negative trend channel to the upside. I know that you're not a technical analyst. I'm not a technical analyst either. But is it something that worries you when you are bearish, that you see such a break to the upside of a, of a trend channel that we've seen um, forcefully in place throughout 22? So I would say that for my three to six to nine month view, uh, it has it has no impact. Um, for you know the view, or for, I should say for the outlook that I would have over the next couple of weeks, yeah, I think that's something to um, to certainly take note of. I think what gives me so much confidence that a breakthrough there is not going to cause you know some five to eight or ten percent rally is because we, the market is already pricing in, in my view, that soft landing and that valuations right now, to me, are, and based on the data, very extended. So right now we are trading at about 18 times the earnings estimate for 2023, which is about $223 uh, a share. And so when you think about the alternatives that are out there right now, and we'll take the very simple money market fund, Money market funds yielding 4.5% uh, approximately. So if you're going to hold equities for the next year, the break-even price for where it would make sense to own equities, not taking into account, of course, that equities are much riskier, but the break-even point would be somewhere around 4,200, which is somewhere around 19 times earnings. So if you buy equities today, you have to have the view that you think the multiple is going to go above 19 times earnings. And based on all the data that I've studied throughout my career and that we're studying in the real time, um, there is no justification for that. We have quantitative tightening going on. Um, we have rate a Fed funds rate at 5%. We have um, you know, overall 10-year yield that's well above average. We have real yields that are positive 150 basis points, a 14-year high, and, and I could go on. There's no justification for it to be above 19 times earnings. And I would point to the last 30 years, there's been two times where the multiple's been higher than 18 times. That was post-COVID when earnings estimates got uh, crushed. So they were trough earnings. Interest rates were zero. QE was $4 trillion and fiscal spending was 3 to $4 trillion in excess. And then the other time was in the late 90s when the internet was literally invented. Outside of that, 18 times has been the peak. And so I feel, that's why I feel so confident that over the next three to six months, although we could break through that trend level that you were referencing, I don't think we're going to see some large rally from that. I want to get back to the discussion on how to position for this potential recession uh, in just a second, because I want to play a soundbite for you from a uh, discussion between my colleague Sam Burke and David Rosenberg, mm -hmm. a uh, veteran economist um, who's from time to time rightfully labeled a perma bear. Mm -hmm. um, and um, they discuss how to position for a pending recession. So let's listen to David sure. and get back to that discussion. Nobody's a perfect market timer. I think that, uh, you know, the way I see it, uh, if you're going to want to turn bullish on equities, and although uh, 
I have this uh, title or uh, label as the perma bear. Uh, I'm dying to turn bullish on stocks. I, I'll tell you right now, my pledge is that I will be the first one out there with the pom-poms on the sidelines when, when the time comes. Uh, the yield curve has to pivot. The Fed has to pivot to pivot the yield curve. That has to happen. So what I'm telling my clients, what I'm telling the viewers here is that there is not a snowball's chance in hell that the stock market puts in a fundamental low. And all these rallies are bear market rallies. Uh, there's not a snowball's chance in hell we hit the lows in the stock market in advance of a big rally in bonds. And this happens every cycle. The entire interview with David Rosenberg from our Three Idea series is available already today for subscribers on the Real Vision platform. Um, back to you, Eric. Um, David is crystal clear in its communication here. Uh, there is not a snowball's chance in hell that equities will put in a fundamental low until the Fed is able to pivot the yield curve. Do you agree? Uh, I would I would agree with that. I mean, the when, when you look at the the current situation for equities and what you have lying ahead of you, um, there is there's a lot to get through. Um, you, the yield curve is where it is, um, because of the view around the economy and, um, and, and so I think we have a very sort of treacherous time ahead from the, from an economic perspective. We have a very tough time ahead from a earnings estimates perspective, right? When you want to own stocks, when estimates, earnings estimates are rising, uh, you want to want to own individual stocks when earnings estimates are rising, owning a stock as the incremental information you're getting is negative has just never has never worked um, and, and I don't expect it to happen this time and then even though the Fed is you know likely going to be we're going to likely see their last rate hike um, in the next you know one to three meetings QT is going to still uh, is still going to be there and as we all know you know, all the charts that people were showing from, you know, 2010 onwards around the correlation between at that time when the Fed was adding to their balance sheet and stock prices was very high. And the degree to which it's going in reverse is of proportions, um, $1.1 trillion a year. And, you know, so far, I think the market has been somewhat, I think, complacent around that. Um, you know, so far, 550 billion has been drawn down on their balance sheet. However, it's been offset by the Treasury pulling money from their deposits at the Fed to the tune of you know 300 to 400 billion, depending on depending on when you you know start start looking, and it's down 600 billion from the top. So that's been a significant offset. Those deposits are now below their target rate and can only they can't go below zero. So there's only a certain amount that that can be drawn down further. So this is going to be a headwind that even when the Fed does stop hiking, quantitative tightening is going to continue. And so you have all these headwinds in front of you. And if the S&P was trading at, you know, 13, 14 times earnings, then I, then I would argue, okay, maybe, you know, maybe it's all priced in, maybe some of it's priced in, 
But at 18 times earnings, it's actually the exact opposite, where not only is it not priced in, it's actually pricing in some sort of uh, you know, market environment, et cetera, that's the exact opposite around what we're currently in and what is ahead of us. Yeah, and I can add that as long as the U.S. Treasury adds dollars to the financial system, the Fed will essentially have to keep quantitative tightening running for longer, um, which is something to consider now that the debt ceiling is back in force. Eric, um, I want to talk about earnings. Uh, you briefly mentioned earnings yields um, in relation to the yield on money market funds. And if we look at the current earnings season, I would argue that it's not that bad yet. So what's your take on what we've seen so far from the earnings season? I think Microsoft is reporting right as we speak here. Um, have you been surprised to the upside and what's the outlook for the next quarter or two? Yeah, so I think that so far, you know, as you noted, earnings have been, I would say, mixed to, to fine. Um, you know, the barometer that I look at is, you know, where our forward estimates uh, moving post uh, post the earnings reports, and they've they've trickled lo lower. Um, we started January at around two hundred twenty six dollars for two thousand twenty three. Right now we're about twenty two hundred twenty three forty. So they've only come down a a small amount. Um, you know, my outlook: we still have you know the next week and a half. We're going to get most of the S and P uh, reporting in terms of capitalization. And I do expect those numbers to continue to come down. And I don't think it's going to be a friendly, uh, a friendly earnings season. Now, one of the things that companies are able to do is initially is to cut expenses, uh, benefit from the falling uh, dollar. And so it's not going to be a cliff for their earnings. I think it's going to be a drag that is going to play out over a number of quarters and we're going to look up at the middle of this year and instead of the earnings for this year being 223.50 they're going to be you know 208 210 206 something like that uh, but it just may happen over the course of of six months um, and i think that the expense cutting is something that clearly is going on and is going to buffer which it typically does that initial drop in unit sales and we saw this during prior recessions where um you know i, I point to you know the year 2000 where uh, estimates really didn't fall until we were you know really into 2001 and the market was hitting a high in september of, of, of 2000 um, and same thing with 07 um, estimates really didn't get hit until 2008 and the market was hitting a high in October of 07. So these, you know, we're all looking at the markets every single day and every day feels like a lifetime. But if we take a step back, you know, we have to realize that these things, they do take, they do take time. Mm. Eric, if we look at the positioning across sectors uh, heading into 2023, I, I noted how, for example, Bank of America's monthly investor survey showed that most investors had overweight positions in defensive sectors such as utilities, healthcare, and consumer staples. And I also noted how such three sectors traded at pretty rich levels from PE, from a PE perspective heading into this year. So what do you make of defensive sectors, uh, which by the way are rock bottom on the leaderboard so far this year uh, from a pricing and valuation perspective into such a recessionary scenario? 
So the defensive sectors are are tough, and they're tough for a couple reasons. As you noted, that they've been crowded, people playing the recession trade. And as you noted, part of that reason, uh, as a result of that, have really underperformed this year as the narrative around a soft landing starts to take hold and cyclical stocks have done very well. And so money has come out of some of the mega caps at the end of last year, came, have come out of defensives this year and have gone into cyclicals. The reason why they're tricky is because, you know, they've, they typically benefit from their dividend yield. And right now though, their dividend yield just looks, uh, you know, very small relative to the money market yields. Uh, that are currently out there. And this is a dynamic that is really new, meaning that money markets have been yielding, you know, somewhere around zero for a good part of the last 15 years. So, you know, that makes them tricky. What also makes them tricky is that with inflation falling, there it's not all positive. Um, clearly, it helps the Fed outlook, but the earnings outlook becomes challenging because your wages stay sticky, your fixed costs stay sticky, and you have challenges then on the revenue side. And companies, including consumer staples, have benefited from inflation, where in prices of their goods have been rising faster than their cost structure, and they've been able to take those margins. Well, now those are going to be going into reverse. They have competition on the uh, dividend to rate front. And as you noted, they are, they still remain somewhat of a crowded long. So the outlook there is, uh, you know, is, is pretty, I would say, challenging. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, and I can add that we received the news today that Walmart plans on increasing the wage for the uh, average worker at Walmart. Um, anecdotal evidence that you're right, that the wage component will be sticky in companies uh, such as Walmart in the consumer staple basket, even though prices have started to at least fade from a momentum perspective in the US. Eric, if, if we look at the other end of the leaderboard so far this year, we have cyclicals, as you rightly point to, but also consumer discretionary and tech stocks are high on the leaderboard, right? Um, even Tesla is back in fashion, at least very short term here. So what do, what do you make of the positioning in the stocks that were so much in fashion through 2020 and 2021, such as tech stocks? Yeah, so tech stocks really, um, you know, have moved, moved quickly at the end of last year. Uh, yeah, there was a really a big liquidation that was going on. And so it really reduced a lot of that exposure. And a lot of that money has gone into cyclicals, which has caused industrials, uh, financials, uh, materials to really outperform uh, sharply over the past few months. And so you've had the, you've had the tailwind from a view that the China reopen, opening 
is going to help those cyclical sectors. And then you had the money flows out of defensives and out of and then this view that we could have a soft landing. Um, I think one of the great trades out there is to take the other side of this cyclical rally. And I think it's going to play out over the course of the next you know, six to nine months, where if, you're, if we're heading into what I think is the likely scenario of, at best, a zero-ish growth economy for the next year or two, and then, of course, at worst, um, something uh, you know far worse than that. The last thing you're going to want to own are cyclicals, and the fact that right now they are close to local highs relative to the market. At the same time, the yield curve is doing what it's doing, and some of the data points that we're getting um, around the economy. Uh, to me, that's one of the of the great trades that lies um, you know in front of us. And, and I would just say also that one of the beneficiaries of that is that investors could really embrace secular growth. And as people are looking for growth in a very difficult um, you know, economic outlook, um, they, could be, they, they could benefit. And a lot of those names have now been somewhat washed out from this you know, trade this popping of the bubble. Uh, and I think that when you think about the difficulties with defensive sectors that we described, difficulties with uh, the cyclical sectors, um, secular growth could actually be a, and I think probably will be an outperformer. Eric, we haven't touched upon the energy sector yet. Um, it was more or less the darling of 2022 for many investors. And um, it was right about the only performing sector through the turbulence of, um, of 2022. So far this year, it's been flatlining, basically. I think it's up a percent or so since New Year's. What do you make of that sector in the context of this growth discussion for the next quarters? So with energy, um, I don't really have a I don't really have a strong view there. I think that there is um, there's a there's a push pull dynamic. I think on the one hand, based on where you know commodity prices currently are, um, energy stocks for the most part are are cheap and they are printing a lot of cash. They've been very disciplined um, and are disciplined around capital spending. And so when you look at them as actual, you know, fundamental vehicles, they look, they look, they still look attractive. The issue is that, you know, what's the outlook for the commodity? And there are, there are the positives are remain a supply issue. Um, and I think that will remain. Uh, there's a tailwind from the SPR that um, is a buyer at some level. Um, on the other hand, if the economy does what I think it's going to do, that's going to be a significant offset to those potential um, supply issues or demand from the ultimate demand uh, from the SPR. So I think it's really a, I think it's a tough, I think it's a tough picture. Um, and I don't really have a strong, I don't really have a strong view there. Absolutely fair. Um, Let's go to a couple of questions from our great members of Real Vision. We have a question from a loyal member, Paul. 
asking you uh, about a viewpoint from Julian Brickton. Um, he said on one of our shows that he expects the US to underperform Europe and emerging markets over the coming period as a consequence of a weaker dollar, but also as a consequence of weaker tech stocks. What do you make of that um, in the context of a recession? So the, the issue, so I would agree with that. However, I think the entry point on that trade is not great, meaning that, you know, the U.S. has underperformed by a lot over the course of the last few months as, you know, the dollar's gotten hit. Europe has, looks like they're going to escape, uh, you know, the issues this winter around, around energy. And, you know, people are looking at the valuation discrepancy. So the, my issue with it is that a lot has already been priced in. And so I think that, I guess my view would be that I would look for, I like that trade broadly. I just, I'm not sure that from a tactical perspective that now is the entry point. I think you're going to get a better entry point uh, for that trade. I would tend to agree with that. Um, also, given how aggressive a rally that we've seen in my part of the world in Europe so far this year. And I can guarantee you that we are not out of the woods yet. At least I need some more confirmation sure. before I, I I dare say so uh, exactly. on the show. Eric, um, always a great pleasure to host you. You're just a wealth of knowledge around equity sectors and current pricing. If I am to sum up today's discussion, um, essentially the rally that we've seen so far this year is a consequence of a very stretched positioning heading into the year. And we just needed that little one trigger from China to get things going. Um, but as of now, the risk reward has clearly turned again. Um, the risk is on the downside for equities over the next six to nine months. The yield curve essentially tells you to be on the watch for such a uh, scenario. And if you were to pick one sector or one part of the equity market to watch out for the most, it would be cyclicals. Anything to add to that summary, Eric? I think it's a I think it's a great summary and I and I enjoy being here. Good stuff, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us on Real Vision Daily Briefing. Um, before we leave you out there, we have the meme of the day, um, and it's giraffe eating a couple of green shoots, uh, asking whether that was all. Seriously, guys, was that all? Um, potentially it was, at least if we listen to Eric Johnston from Cancer Fitzgerald. A great pleasure to host you, Eric, and uh, my colleagues will be back with more tomorrow at the Real Vision Daily Briefing. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.